0: For me, fashion is a verb. So it's to fashion.
1: You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis with Claire Press. Join me every week as we look at sustainability, ethics, and the business and madness of fashion. Hello, everyone. I'm back in the interviewer's chair and I'm very excited to bring you this new episode all about fashion rental and how sustainable it is. Have you been reading all these headlines questioning its sustainability credentials? Because they've been everywhere. Now, the popular angle was you may as well throw your clothes away because rental is an eco-wrought. Hmm. (laughs) What do you think of this? Here's a selection of headlines and leads from popular media on this topic. The Guardian went with A study has revealed that renting clothes, long touted as one of the inadverted commas answers to fashion's sustainability crisis, is worse for the planet than throwing them away. Dazed reported on the harmful environmental impacts of clothes shares from transportation to upkeep. Glamour magazine. They said renting your clothes has just been called out as the least environmentally friendly fashion option. And so on. Now, all of this came out of the publication in a Finnish scientific journal of a study by five researchers from Lut University, led by Jako Levenan. He and his colleagues, Vila Usitalo, Anna Hari, Elisa Karanen and Lassie Linenen compared the environmental impacts of five different scenarios around owning and disposing of clothes. These included renting, resale and recycling. Now, when you do a study like this, you've got to make some decisions about where you start and your methodology. Like what kind of garment will you look at? Where is it made? What's it made from? And Where does it travel? So what market is it being sold or rented or recycled in? And also, what's your average baseline for usage? Like, how often does it get worn? The researchers decided on a pair of jeans made in Bangladesh and consumed or rented or accessed in Europe. Now, it is possible to rent jeans. Mud jeans kind of a sustainability hero. You've probably heard of them. They're based in the Netherlands and they do this 12 month leasing option. But let's face it, it's not common. I mean, who does that? I've never rented a pair of jeans. Perhaps you have. But fashion rental is generally about access to expensive clothes that you, I don't know, won't wear very often. So occasion dressing maybe, or a smart coat for work or fancy accessories. As Women's Wear Daily pointed out, this Finland study assumes that these imaginary jeans are worn up to 200 times, but there's loads of other data out there that suggests that real average wear per garment is way lower, more like 10 wears. Now in that scenario, renting a garment 20 or 30 or 40 times means a major saving, right? How sustainable one model is versus another also depends on what company you look at what their processes are, and in the case of rental, how they organise transports and packaging and cleaning. It's also quite interesting to look at how it might change consumer behaviour, but that is outside of the scope of this study. But you're going to hear some of our interviewees today talk about that, that rental can be a kind of gateway into sustainable fashion or reducing how many clothes you buy and trying to figure out what it means to access or own stuff, which I love. Now, there was so much commentary around this, but I googled all of these people and all of this coverage and I couldn't find anyone who'd actually spoken to Yako Lebanon. So I got in touch and I invited him to come on the podcast and spell it out for us, which is great. You're going to hear from him directly. You'll also hear from a British retail guru, the co-founder of an exciting new rental platform and another scientist who's an expert in cleaning. In my view, rental can definitely be sustainable. I think some of those headlines were just clickbait that just didn't even maybe read the study and certainly failed to tell the full story. But like everything in sustainability, it's really complicated. It doesn't lend itself to an easy headline. People always want a black and white answer like, is it better to do A or B? But there's rarely one correct answer. It always depends on a whole bunch of different interlinked stuff. Still, would I rather A, rent a new outfit, or B, throw clothes away? (laughs) A, obviously, come on. I can't wait to hear what you think of this one. You can find me, as usual, on Instagram and Twitter. Don't be a stranger. All right. Now, let's hear from Professor Yako Levenen in Finland. Welcome to the World Job Crisis Podcast, Professor Yako Levanen. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: With your colleagues at the Department of Sustainability Science at Lutz University in Lazi, Finland, you recently published a study titled innovative recycling or extended use, comparing the global warming potential of different ownership and end of life scenario textiles. So can you outline for us what exactly you set out to measure?
2: We wanted to better understand the sustainability impacts of different types of circularity in a pounded analytical setting, which allows a focused approach and comparable results. We picked one product category, a pair of genes in this case, and made a calculation-based modeling of life cycle impacts of extended use of genes, their reselling, recycling, and sharing through a rental service. And I would like to emphasize that these uh, developed scenarios are theoretical in a sense that they do not describe practices of any individual companies, but instead they describe commonly applied activities that follow the ideas of of circular economy. So that's in in a nutshell what we did.
1: Okay, so you say in the report, and I'm quoting from it, we have a limited understanding of the life cycle impacts of some of these circular economy practices when you compare them to the linear economy. So what are you saying? That we haven't actually seen this play out at scale yet? We're really still quite theoretical when it comes to what circular economy could look like.
2: Yes, that's true. Even though circular economy is a very welcome and popular topic right now, and many countries, for example, are developing strategies and roadmaps to advance circularity, we still do not know much about the exact implications of circular practices as compared to those of more traditional ways of doing things. Therefore, we need much more detailed research in this area. Our research does not aim to criticize circular economy approaches as such, and I want to underline that, in in general, this circular economy is definitely the right direction of business development.
1: Let's talk about some of the terms that you use in the study. You talk about unexpected outcomes at a system level.
2: What would be an example? We mean a situation in which we add circular practices into certain parts of the value chain, which may bring environmental performance gains. But we, at the same time, forget to pay attention how it affects the whole chain. For example, Mm. increased recycling of textiles does not uh, decrease the overall environmental burden of the sector if textiles production and consumption continues to grow. This means that we need to be aware of the root causes of sustainability problems and aim to address those. In the textile sector, the biggest problem is overproduction, which is driven by fast fashion type of consumption. And this problem cannot be solved only by developing new ways of uh, recycling or sharing.
1: Okay. You also use another phrase in the study, rebound effect. Could you define that for us, please?
2: Yes. Uh, rebound effect is also known as Yevon's paradox as it relates to work of economist William Stanley Yevon's in the 19th uh, century. Concept describes a situation in which increased resource efficiency in production does not provide environmental benefits, but instead leads to higher environmental impacts due to increased consumption. A classical example comes from the 19th century British coal industry. When uh, technological development then enabled more efficient coal production, the cost of a produced coal unit decreased. This reduced price then increased the consumption of coal because industrialization had created a large demand for affordable energy sources.
1: We'll share a link, but the Jevons paradox, J E V O N S, named after the English economist William Stanley. Yevons or Jevons, who in 1865 wrote a book called The Coal Question, observing that with greater efficiencies came greater demand. And he wrote that it is a confusion of ideas to suppose that the economical use of fuel is equivalent to diminished consumption. And he said the very contrary is the truth. So maybe getting better at recycling will just make us consume more textiles, therefore wiping the sustainability gains away. All right. So in the study, you outlined five different ownership and end-of-life scenarios. Just tell us what those are.
2: So those are extended use of jeans, the reselling, recycling and sharing. And these were compared against the baseline scenario, which in a way resembled the business as usual or the linear economy model, if, if you will.
1: What? So throwing them away? Yes. Right. Let's just hear about your methodology. First of all, why did you choose to focus on a pair of genes?
2: We wanted to have a clear as possible unit of analysis to which people can relate to. Uh, we considered comparison of different product categories, but for the sake of clarity, we ended up focusing only on genes in this article. Obviously, similar analysis are needed from other categories and sectors to get more detailed understanding. So we expected 200 use times. It is a rough estimation that is based on different studies. For example, Ellen MacArthur Foundation has estimated in their report published in 2017 that average use time of all clothes is 160. And as genes are more durable, we made assumption of 200 uses. We also assumed that this would be produced in, in Bangladesh. Why? In our modelling, the starting point was that genes were used in the EU, and Bangladesh is a leading exporter of genes to EU.
1: Okay. And then you looked at the GWP which stands for global warming potential of these various scenarios. May I ask you just to explain GWP in this context?
2: Yes, in brief uh, global warming potential means overall carbon dioxide emissions that originate in the whole uh, life cycle of a product starting from the raw materials production and ending to the disposal stage.
1: Okay, so listeners might be familiar with life cycle analysis, for example. So we're looking right back to the raw materials to end-of-use or end-of-life scenarios, right? Okay, how would you summarise the key
2: findings? We found that there are significant rebound risks when we advance circularity in textile sector. This is, however, not very surprising finding because similar risks can be found also from other sectors. It Mm. means, however, that we need to pay extra attention to the understanding of real sustainability impacts of new practices that we are developing. Being in line with this general philosophy of circular economy does not always guarantee sustainability.
1: What everybody wants to know who's read the newspaper reports is, is it actually worse to rent our clothes than it is to throw them away?
2: In a way, this is a secondary question. It is not very important from the sustainability perspective who owns these clothes. Is it a company that rents them or is it customer? The key question is that we must learn to use our clothes for a longer time period. There must be a larger number of use times of these clothes. At the end of life states, these materials will be thrown away anyway, at some point. So I would not pay so much attention to this question, but it it all depends on, on how this sharing model is organized.
1: There's been so much attention on this particular study. Were you surprised?
2: Yes, perhaps a bit surprised. And of course, it's good that research gets attention. But of course, there has been these headlines that have in a way been a bit provocative that... We wouldn't like to so much see, but that's the name of the game.
1: (laughs) Let's take a quick look at the evolution of fashion rental. Dress and costume hire have long existed, but renting your tuxedo or prom outfit in the 90s had little to do with what's going on today. Things changed in America in 2004 with the launch of Bag, Borrow or Steal which then appeared on Sex and the City. And in 2009, also in the US, Rent the Runway launched. A decade later, that company was valued at a billion dollars. In Australia, Glam Corner launched in 2012 with a focus on event dressing. Now, lately it's expanded its offer to sun frocks and athleisure and even ski gear. And it's a B Corp. By 2020, a year before The Guardian broke the news that, hey, rental's actually terrible for the planet, They ran a story on its rise in the UK, with the subhead, owning clothes is so last year. Rental platforms were officially the industry's success story, thanks to changing perceptions around sharing and secondhand, and also sustainability. My Wardrobe HQ was co-founded in London in 2018 by Sasha Newell and Tina Lake. And last year, Jane Shepherdson joined them as chair. And they started doing collabs with Liberty and Harrods. And now on the site, you can rent pieces from more than 500 designers. And you can also list high-end designer items from your own wardrobe. And they do resale. Now, Jane Shepherdson is a fashion retail legend in the UK. I was so happy she agreed to talk to me for this. It was actually Jane who turned Topshop into a cool proposition in the late 90s, early 2000s. And she departed a little while maybe three or four years after Philip Green bought it and she went on then to work with Oxfam on an ethical fashion collection and that was ages ago I mean before it was 2008 I think before this was mainstream. Jane is also a former CEO of Whistles so she's got a long view on how this retail context has changed. Jane Shepherdson, welcome to the podcast. Hello, lovely to be here. I'd love to begin by asking you to give us a bit of context around where fashion retail is at right now. You're in the UK, so from Brexit to the pandemic, competition online to sustainability concerns, it feels like there's just a very different landscape today with lots of stuff being thrown at fashion retail. How have you seen the market change and what's happened to legacy physical stores and brands and old models?
0: It has changed more than anyone could have imagined, I think. Prior to the pandemic, it, it had changed enormously anyway. I mean, the advent of, of e-commerce has had such a huge impact, mainly because all of those brands that have their own stores and, and used to sort of sell to their customers through their stores now have the added expense and costs of having an e-commerce platform as well, which is a huge, huge cost to them. So what's happened is that all but the most profitable or the most successful actually just can't afford to do both and, and they're going under. I don't think it's just that, however. I also think that there's been a real complacency in a lot of the brands on the high street. You know, creativity has to be the most important thing in, in a, a fashion brand. You have to be constantly reinventing yourself creating something new, creating something exciting for your consumer. And I think they got a bit lazy. They thought the price was the only thing that mattered. So I, so I think that there's been sort of a double-edged sword. Then the pandemic came along and probably has speeded up that demise by about five years, I reckon. I think there's a lot of brands that won't survive. I think that's inevitable. The only sort of light at the end of the tunnel is that I'm certainly seeing an awful lot of small brands that are starting up because in a way it's it's actually almost easier to start up now because you don't need the physical store you don't need the expense of a store of staff etc so there are a lot of businesses that are starting up in this space and people who are obsessed with doing it in a way that is sustainable that is responsible you know people that are using the waste from tanneries the waste from the big mills and and making clothes out of them so I think as as many brands that are going to die, unfortunately, I think there are a lot of them that will come and, and take their place and are hopefully doing it in a better way. And how have you seen rental evolve? I think it's fascinating, actually, because I think what Rent the Runway did in the US is they actually provided a viable alternative to purchasing. It was easy. It was efficient. It worked. We didn't have that in this country. I think Rent the Runway have done an incredible thing. I actually don't know how sustainable they are, so I can't say because they're at huge scale now. And and it could be that what they're doing is, is not particularly sustainable in some ways. I don't know that. However, I think in this country, we didn't have a viable alternative. And I think it's, it's so strange that it went on for so long. Prior to the pandemic, about two years ago, there were about four or five new platforms that emerged, including ours, that were absolutely on it, knew what they were doing, and were starting to make rental a thing here. People were starting to talk about it. Journalists were very interested in it. Then the pandemic happened. And of course, there were no events. So, you know, nobody rented anything throughout the pandemic. Let's be clear about that. Whichever rental business says, oh, no, we did really well. They didn't. Fortunately, we're a resale business, too. So we did actually sell enough to keep us going throughout the pandemic. But what did happen in the pandemic is that people started to think about their relationship to fashion. They started to look at their bulging wardrobes. They started to look at clothes that still had the labels on that they hadn't worn. They looked at things that they bought for a wedding and never worn again. And I think people began to be a bit more considered, perhaps. I don't know whether we became more responsible. You know, there's two schools of thought here. One is that we became more responsible and the other is that as soon as it's over, we're all going to rush out and spend loads and loads of money. But, but I think the majority of people actually thought about it a little bit. And rental actually became a real talking point. And I, and I did so many interviews and so many panel discussions about rental during the pandemic, even though, weirdly, nobody was actually renting anything. Now that we are venturing out again people are starting to
1: rent clothes like never before Mm, do you reckon that there's a sort of wake-up moment happening across the board so people are starting to feel guilty about fast fashion and and also can I ask that from a, a personal standpoint did this happen to you because you left I know you left a long time ago in 2006 but you were the brand director at Topshop And I think I also saw a talk that you gave where you said that after you left Whistles, you you also had a kind of epiphany where you thought the whole fashion system is a problem. Did you feel guilty, Jane?
0: (laughs) Yes, of course I felt guilty. Of course I felt guilty. I I don't know. I think that the realisation of how damaging fashion was to the planet is something that people have known about for a long time, but it's only really become very clear in the last sort of, I would say, Five to ten years, and and it was then that I started to think, yes, I am the problem. I never joined fashion to make fashion faster or anything like that. I joined it because I wanted to create incredibly beautiful clothes for customers that weren't at ridiculous prices so they could afford them. However, I accept totally that that was a problem, and and I did feel I thought, right, hang on a minute, I've got so much experience in the industry. Surely there's something that I can now do to try in some way to mitigate what I've done for the last 30 years.
1: Well, my background's in mainstream commercial fashion media. So I was that person telling people to buy a Zara knockoff and work it back with Celine and interviewing Kate Phelan when she left Vogue to go to Topshop. It was a different world. I had absolutely no idea, actually, in the early 2000s about fashion's environmental impacts.
0: Well, if you'd said to me 20 years ago that fashion is ruining our planet, I would have just said, don't be ridiculous. We had no idea. I didn't know. In in terms of social justice, we knew about that, and we all tried in our own way to make our supply chain responsible. But in terms of the polluting aspect of it, no. I mean, it wasn't a thing to us at all. I think there's very few people working in fashion now who are not aware of it and don't feel either slightly guilty
1: or are trying to do something to make it better in the future. And also, fashion should mean cutting edge. For me, I want to be ahead of what's happening. I I don't want to be that laggard who doesn't get change or the new era. Once you know there's a better way, you want to be part of it, right?
0: You are absolutely right. And, And there's something quite exciting about thinking... I want to try and change people's behaviour because that's what it's about, isn't it, really? And I've always kind of been very interested in that. And I've never believed in the stick instead of the carrot. I've always only ever believed that if you want people to do something different, then you have to give them something that is better than what they had. And trying to think of what that could be or how you can do that it is exciting. It is, it's energising.
1: Okay, Jane, how did you move into rental? Well, I actually
0: took a year out. I went on a road trip around America and I stayed in an Airbnb every night. And I know the issues with Airbnb as well. But it kind of occurred to me that 10 years ago, we wouldn't have thought that we would go and sleep in someone else's bed, for example.
1: It works the other way too, doesn't it? Trusting others in our spaces and with our stuff. I mean, there's a complete rethink there, isn't there? exactly
0: exactly the whole different mindset so i kind of was thinking when i was away well you know it would be great if you could have a, an airbnb for clothes i mean you know why wouldn't you it's just as perfect you know there's all those wardrobes i was thinking especially of fashion editors who you know were kind of often paid in clothes so they have all these amazing clothes in their wardrobes and I came back and I actually got together with some colleagues of mine and we started the process of setting up some kind of a Airbnb and I realized actually that we weren't getting anywhere and I wasn't really up to the task and I was then approached by Sasha Newell and Tina Lake from my wardrobe who said Right. Well, that's exactly what we're doing. And we've done all the really difficult back of house stuff and we've set the side up and we've done, you know, basically all the hard work. Will you come and join us? And will you help us to spread the word? So I
1: did. How important is sustainability to the My Wardrobe HQ business model? Is it a driver for you? Of course it
0: is. Of course it is. Rental is not the answer to the problems that within the fashion industry. Rental is one of the planks on the bridge towards a better future. Hopefully what rental does is it starts to change people's behavior, starts to them to thinking less about buying new all the time and makes them think, actually, you know, this piece still has merit. I can either lend it to somebody else or I can borrow someone else's piece. So that's the general feeling. I think the statistics that we have show that we increase the life of a product by an average of 15 times. And on some pieces, it's much more than that. It's not perfect. I absolutely recognize that. I know there's been a study recently saying, I don't know, it's better to buy new than, than rent, which I do take issue with, actually, because a lot of the assumptions that it makes are not correct. And also, it doesn't take into account that businesses like my wardrobe are constantly reviewing their logistics, constantly reviewing their carbon footprint. And that's something that we take really, really seriously. At the moment, we deliver on a bicycle. if it's, Well, we actually start off by encouraging customers to come and pick the piece up from our head office. If they can't do that, we'll deliver on a bicycle, an electric car, electric van. Worst case scenario, if it has to go further, then we'll use DHL, who so that they're currently carbon neutral. We also look at our cleaning. We do ozone cleaning, which is uh, much better for the environment. And in some cases, we'll only do spot cleaning. If spot cleaning is required, then then we'll do that instead. And we have somebody that analyzes each piece that comes back and says, well, what do we need to do to this piece? So I know that that it's not perfect. I'm, I'm well aware of that. But it's like a constant journey. We're constantly trying to make it better. And the underlying thing is that it actually changes. People will now stop and think, do I need to buy something new? And for it to sit in my wardrobe for the next 10 years before I
1: chuck it out. Victoria Prue is the co-founder and chief executive of online fashion rental marketplace Her Collective. And that's spelled H-U-R-R. Based in London, she's been one of Forbes 30 Under 30. And she says Her is on a mission to reinvent ownership and provide all the shortcuts to a sustainable wardrobe. Sustainability is her biggest driver and she points out that the Finnish study doesn't give anywhere near an accurate picture of the way that HER operates. Victoria Pru, welcome to the World Crisis Podcast. Thank you for making the time. Thank you for having me. I would like to just ask you to begin with if you could tell us the story of HER. How does it actually operate and how did you start it?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, so I co-founded the business three and a half years ago. I'm a millennial myself, and I guess I'd witnessed this massive rise in the sharing economy. Um, and I really believe that we're at a time where we're all really questioning ownership. We rent cars, we rent houses, we don't own cars, we don't own houses all the time. And I had watched this rental movement really boom in, in the US and just thought, okay, there's no one in the UK that's doing this, definitely not well. Um, and I just felt like there was a massive opportunity to reinvent ownership, so her is UK's leading wardrobe rental platform, and we have different sections to our business. But the majority of our business basically powers peer-to-peer rentals and allows brands to rent their own stock. So you can rent amazing edit of outfits. I think we've got about ten thousand plus listings now for four days, eight days, ten, or twenty days. So her powers brands rentals and also peer-to-peer rentals too. It's a
1: designer-focused platform. You've got labels like The Vampire's Wife, Ganny. I actually saw lots of sustainable labels, Mara Hoffman. Yeah. How much of your business is or was occasion dressing? And I ask that because obviously with the COVID context, people's behaviours have changed, right?
3: Absolutely. So my kind of vision for her is never to be an occasion wear business. We've never been a go to rental platform for a sequin ball gown that you might wear once or twice a year or not at all. Now we're in a COVID era, so about seventy five plus percent of our rentals are for events of what we call the elevated everyday. So that could be a walk in the park, a picnic with friends, your birthday, your hen do. It's not just sequin glamorous ball gowns. Renting is much more everyday, much more contemporary.
1: I was interested, Victoria, in how you began talking about your motivation being around sharing and the share economy and a generational view that we don't need to own everything. This idea of a collective wardrobe that we
3: can all take part in rather than this kind of, it's mine. Absolutely. I think, you know, you don't need to own something to get that dopamine hit of unboxing something new. And I think that's what resales done really well at. When I buy something from eBay or Depop or Vestiaire Collective, it feels new, but it's not actually new. And I think that rental does a similar journey. I hope that when Claire unboxes her rental, it feels and she gets that mm. dopamine hit of experiencing something new without the environmental impact. Why do you think more people are interested in these ways of accessing fashion? So I think in the last 365 days, as we've been sat in our houses, we have probably you and me alike, spend a lot of time thinking, why do we own so much stuff? Whether that is fashion, whether that is plant pots and frames and just things we don't need, stuff doesn't make us happy. And there's so much research about actually owning less is better than our mental health. So it's really propelled, I think, interest in sustainable fashion, probably five years further on than where we were last year. So Mm. I think the dissociation between stuff and, you know, just owning, 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 and actually owning less, being better for our mental health is something I personally find fascinating and I think is going to start really entering the mainstream.
1: So almost like a cultural shift that isn't necessarily, although obviously it's linked to, but driven by sustainability. It's other things too. We're just moving culturally, aren't we?
3: Absolutely. Why why not access amazing things for a shorter period of time?
1: I pulled these words off your website where you talked about joining the revolution how much of what you're doing there is purpose-driven and how important is sustainability to you as a business founder?
3: So sustainability is the number one driver for why I started her three and a half years ago. Yeah. When I founded the business and, you know, people weren't talking about sustainable fashion and fast fashion was definitely kind of raging. Lots of people said, okay, maybe sustainability is a trend and not a movement. And I said, no, no, this is a movement and not a trend. And at some stage, it might be three months later, it might be what happens to be three and a half years later, there will be a time where we really start changing our behaviours. So absolutely, I think there are lots of factors that go into actually getting a rental through our platform, but a close driver, price and sustainability are always going to be our two biggest drivers. And I guess in terms of the mission about what what we're doing, I wake up every day on on the hope that actually we can change the fast fashion customer and get them renting something for the first time. And and that's what drives me personally, for sure. So you know
1: that the hook to this particular episode is this study that came out of Finland, and we've talked to the lead author of that study and got his take. How did you feel about the way it was reported? There was a lot of clickbait around that for me. I felt like it was an easy win
3: to have this headline saying it's better to throw your goods away than to rent them. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, have very strong views about how this was kind of placed into the press. I think suggesting, as you said, that consumers should throw away their clothes is just complete clickbait headline and actually does more harm than good for the businesses that are really trying to pave this way and, and reinvent ownership. I think the main issue around the, the study was not actually the renting proposition itself. It's actually the really emission-heavy last-mile logistics and the complexity that goes into rentals more than anything. Victoria. I just
1: want to just define last mile logistics because I did a separate to the podcast an event recently where we talked about it and it was a new phrase to me when I did the research on it. I don't think people know what that means. People don't listen to stuff about logistics because it's not very sexy. What do
3: we mean by last mile in the logistics sense? Yeah, not a sexy term, but it's basically last mile logistics is, is the final step in the delivery process from a distribution center to the actual end user. And at a time where people are shopping more than ever, this has become a really complex part of logistics. It's not sexy at all, but actually it's a really important part in how you get a package from a retailer to the consumer.
1: Because it could be, and it depends, doesn't it? But imagine the scenario that you're not home and the courier comes and then goes away again, you know, all that. So actually, there's all this hidden footprint behind the way that things are delivered. What do you do about that?
3: In terms of the kind of study that that we're debating, it's really interesting and it hasn't really kind of analysed rental as a whole. A large percentage of our business, as I mentioned, is peer-to-peer. So pre-COVID, a lot of our users actually chose to meet up in person. So there was no last mile or logistics whatsoever. We also have a permanent pop-up in Selfridges, a percentage of our revenues and rentals take place in store, obviously on foot, it's completely separate. And also the majority of our business goes through traditional postal services like the rest of the fashion industry or the majority of the industry when you buy something, right? So I think the complexity of rentals shouldn't be underestimated, but the clickbait headlines are really damaging to companies that are trying to do better. Tell us about some of the
1: practical things that you do to ensure that you're being as sustainable as possible when it comes to distributing your products.
3: Yeah, absolutely. First off, there's no point being a rental business unless you've thought about every single stage of our supply chain and of our rental process, which is quite complex. So number one, we don't want any kind of plastic packaging We have a partnership with a company called Repack, which I'm sure you know, where these uh, repack packages can be sent between 30 to 35 times back and forth in the post before they're then retired and revamped. And then the dry cleaning part is one of the biggest parts that underpins any fashion rental model. For those that know Rent the Runway in the States, they're one of the world's biggest dry cleaners. So we have a very public partnership with Oxwash, who I know you know. And they are really kind of reinventing the dry cleaning space. I think it's an industry that a lot of consumers don't know much about, let alone the horrible chemicals that go in it. So for me, I want the industry's leading dry cleaning, packaging, and processes behind every single part of our supply chain. Our job is to educate people on on the benefits and, and kind of debunk the myths around rental. And I think that is where transparency is really key. So you can see on our Instagram A tour of the Oxwash Lagoon with Kyle and I talking through the process. It's that level of transparency that I want as a customer and I want to provide as a CEO of her to our community to understand how this process works.
1: You actually do a really good job of talking about sustainability and spreading awareness on your social media and also on the
3: stories that you share on the site. I hope so. I think We have an amazing mother of pearl white dress that has got married seven times this summer. We have a shrimp's bag that's been married 10 times this summer. And how amazing that one item has all of these stories. It's been styled differently by lots of different women of different ages, shapes, styles, sizes, everything. What do you see happening in the future? Where do you think it's headed? So I think circular models are the future of fashion that obviously incorporates the rental and the resale models, which are growing 10 to 20 times faster than the broader retail market. So we know there's demand for this. And I recently came across a really fascinating study that over the next 10 years, a quarter of consumers' wardrobes are going to be secondhand rental or resale, which is such a fascinating statistic in terms of where the market's going to go. So I personally see a real convergence between rental and resale and circular more generally. I think Depop have done a great job on this on the resale side, that you can style cool things and not feel like you you have to own them or that they're yours, they're all pre-loved. And I think there's a massive movement happening in this space.
1: Talking of Depop, I was about to let you go, but cannot. You've just made an
3: amazing announcement about how you're working with them. We have. So um, we've recently announced a big partnership with Depop. Very much a dream come true for me to be associated with them. And the view is, to this exact report, what happens once an item has hit its maximum utilisation? We've rented it 20 times. We've rented it 50 times. What happens next? So you now can buy our pre-loved rental edit on Depop.
1: Finally, I caught up with Britain's most talked-about eco-friendly dry cleaner to find out how commercial operations can be more sustainable. He also mentions microfibres, and it turns out that what they're doing is incredibly interesting, so I decided to save that one for another episode. I know that plastic fibre pollution is a topic you all really want to know more about, so coming soon. Right, here's Kyle Grant, founder of Oxwash. Dr. Kyle Grant, welcome to the Wardrobe Crisis podcast, and thank you for being so flexible. And you're now doing this from your car to get good sound.
4: (laughs) Indeed, I do like a hermetically sealed container, just like any rocket scientist.
1: But before you were in your Oxwash HQ, and it was noisy because it's full of machines, I presume
4: absolutely right yeah so where we were chatting before is our office above what we call a lagoon so people have heard of laundrettes laundries dry cleaners before what we're trying to create is something slightly different but you're absolutely right it's full of machinery doing super cool washing that's got a very very space-age edge on it
1: okay are you really an ex nasa scientist what does that mean it sounds
4: very <laughs> impressive Yeah, so I used to work um, at NASA in the States at Cape Canaveral Air Force Station and the Kennedy Space Center, which people have heard of before, I'm sure, where all the Apollo missions launch from and SpaceX now launches from. And I worked on two projects while I was there. One was around developing probiotics for astronauts, because when humans go to space, their gut microbe and flora go haywire. So we were trying to work out, is there a way we can create a probiotic, a bit like Yakult for astronauts. And then the second project was on life support systems engineering called ECLIS. And a lot of my work there was around circularizing resource usage in space. How do you reuse the water that you we and then need to drink, the air that you breathe? And that circularity is something that stayed with me since then. Actually, clothing is one of the oldest circular economies in the world, dating back to when we were wearing hides. So it really struck me as pretty weird when you look at the way we wash things today globally, pollutes the planet. Why is that? That is a relationship that I believe and our team believe should be broken.
1: Just briefly, how did you get across this idea that the traditional laundry business was
4: not sustainable? Like what led to that? The genesis moment was actually completely by accident. I was doing my own laundry in my rugby team's kit at my college at university. I went down to the laundry facilities and they were all either broken, booked out for the next half decade. I WhatsApped loads of my friends. They all said the same thing. So I was like, ah, this is interesting. Maybe there's a space for a laundry startup aside my PhD studies. Got that spun up. And it was when I went to see my first commercial laundry that I was like, oh, 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 this is toxic. No, no, no.
1: What don't we know then about traditional commercial laundry setups?
4: Yeah, I think the main problem is that they are completely hidden from people. You know, you send your items out, um, they get clean, they come back. You know, the linen that you sleep in at hotels just looks lovely. But when you go into these facilities, they're cramped, Often people are paid below minimum wage in very, very toxic conditions with chlorine based bleach used for the cleaning, which then you know, permeates into the air that the people are breathing. There's absolutely no focus on resource utilization and circularization. So water is used in large volumes, natural gas in huge tonnage. And the biggest problem is around microfibers leaching from all of those textiles, flying down the drain and then into the ocean, which is a massive problem.
1: Okay, we're going to get on to that. But I just want to ask you very briefly, I remember researching a story back when I was a journalist writing for newspapers about dry cleaning. People didn't even know that dry cleaning was actually wet.
4: Mm, you're absolutely right i mean the traditional dry cleaning process uses perchloroethylene which is a really toxic carcinogenic solvent that look it cleans really well it does remove grease and for most items that are synthetic it's actually really good but the problem is it's super toxic and it really isn't good for more delicate items coming onto the market it dissolves sequins removes sheen on silks and velvets and things like that we wet clean everything and that is a process using water. And the chemistry that we use is, is completely different. It's biodegradable. It's very much at the cutting edge of detergency and kind of emulsifiers and things like that. And that's what makes the difference. And it's completely non-toxic.
1: I've been hearing a lot about Oxwash. You started in Oxford, hence the name. You now operate in Cambridge and in London. You say Oxwash, and this is from your website, is re-engineering the laundry process. What does that mean Can you explain your particularly energy and
4: water-saving processes? Yeah, of course. I think the first thing is to step back and kind of analyse the whole system. How do we take laundry from people's homes or from business premises, take them and basically bring them to our lagoons? And that needs to be completely CO2 neutral or negative. So we use electric cargo bikes for all of our logistics across the UK. It's a lot more efficient than vans or any cars or mopeds and things like that. You can filter through traffic the energy that's used to power those electric bikes comes from the sun. So that was the first problem that we needed to solve. How do you basically move laundry around without emitting CO2? Because actually, laundry services nationwide and actually globally, 35% of the CO2 footprint is just in the moving of the clothes from facility to customer and obviously back again.
1: Can I just stop you there? How do you know that?
4: Yeah, we've done a lot of benchmarking. We're going through a B Corp accreditation process at the moment. And as part of that, we've done a real deep dive into analysing our peers in the industry. Uh, we work closely with an organisation called CNET, which is basically a global laundry committee, if you like. We actually won their Global Best Practices Award last year through the work that we've been doing to prove that what we're doing is better than the, you know, the traditional way of, of doing laundry.
1: So you actually began with this issue of the carbon emissions of transport, but you're also doing work to re-engineer how you use water and presumably energy.
4: Exactly right. Yeah. So when the items are moved from customer to our lagoon, that's where the the sexy part happens, is how do you get those items clean without the enormous energy, water, chemical and microfiber footprint? They are the four pillars or facets of washing that we're engineering. The first is water. We reclaim water in some of our sites. Between 40 and 60% of the water that we use for a wash cycle is filtered, recycled and used for the next cycle. Clothes don't drink fresh water. So, why the hell do we use fresh water from the tap to wash them? It's bonkers. So, we reuse a lot of our water there. We also have a complete automation in our washing machine so that when you load the items into the machine, let's say it's 10 dresses for argument's sake. The machine can work out, you know, that's 25% full, the texture, the water capacity, the material, and then it'll minimise the amount of detergent used, softener used, water used, and energy used to get that 10-item wash load washed, but no more.
1: Did you have to reinvent the washing machine?
4: No, that's something we haven't done yet. So we, our kind of IP is around how you engineer the processes, the automation, the chemistry, and all that good stuff.
1: Okay, so presumably others could do the same. And yet you're a pioneer or an outlier. I don't know how you want to describe it. But you're not normal. It's not normal.
4: No, you're absolutely right. I think the defensibility comes from what we call the 1% gains at 100 different places. There's no one silver bullet to washing. You need water, you need to move things around. It's that simple. But we believe that by engineering things from end to end in what we call vertically integrated washing, we can build something new that's completely defensible.
1: Would you agree that most of the industry, however, the commercial laundering industry, that most commercial operations are nowhere near as efficient as yours is.
4: Yeah, I would. I'd be very confident in saying that. And, you know, from the ground up, we have wanted to build an efficient system that is completely different to the legacy facilities that are are set up around the world. That being said, there are lots of great people in the industry. You know, this is an industry where family-run businesses are, are rife and generational inheritance of facilities is common. And there are a lot of new wave owners of facilities that are trying really hard to gut, you know, legacy practices using dry cleaning and move to more sustainable methods. It's just really difficult when you've got machines that are, you know, 30 years old bolted to the floor.
1: The reason for this conversation, Kyle, is the recent study out of Finland. I'm really interested to know, first of all, your take on the study itself and its findings.
4: Of course. So I've published peer-reviewed reports from back when I was doing my PhD and my time at NASA before. So I feel, you know, averagely well placed to interpret the results and the rigour of the study. And I I think it's a good study in its methodology and its research, but it's very limited and it's not a good representation of the real world.
1: Okay. So one of the conclusions that the study came to, out of five different scenarios that were considered around this particular item of clothing, which was a pair of jeans, rental came out at the bottom. You work with some of the kind of most buzzed about fashion rental services in the UK, including her, my wardrobe and by rotation. You've also said, and I'm quoting you, that you believe that rental models are the future of the fashion industry. So what's your take on that conclusion?
4: Yeah, unfortunately, I found this really triggering because my passion for Oxwash really is now in supporting circular fashion economies, rental being the most prominent at the moment. It's also obvious, you know, when you're within the cycle that by sharing a garment that doesn't need to be manufactured again and again and again, you offset an enormous footprint in the manufacture and transport of that item. Often in the UK, that will come from India or China, you know, across like thousands of miles. So just by making an asset, i.e. address lasts a lot longer there's the common sense element then i think the foundation on which the kind of analysis of the paper was based with rental a large carbon footprint comes in the logistics in fact i think it was 30 percent so for us we have zero emission logistics and that we use for fulfilling all of our customers rentals across london oxford and cambridge so we've kind of already solved for that now, I'm not saying globally that is the case because, of course, people still use DPD, Royal Mail, UPS, FedEx, these kind of things to move items around. But they're also doing great work to decarbonize their logistics as well.
1: OK, quick response to the headline, it's greener to throw clothes away than to rent them.
4: <laughs> I don't even know where to start. It's so, so false. <laughs> from our perspective, you know, we exist to give clothes many lives. It's just a really sensationalist headline that I think completely misrepresents the hard work that's being done. Just
1: to conclude, why do you believe then that rental models are part of the future of fashion if we want to really become more sustainable?
4: I think it's actually going to come because we have to, you know, there are seven times the number of garments as humans on the planet. It's absolutely bonkers. It's ending up being burnt in landfill. We are drowning in clothes. It's just that simple. And I think that the pressure that that's causing on our waste and all of our kind of systems in the UK and globally to cope with that is too great. And that's now coming into the conscious consumer mindset. And I think that people are very open to buying secondhand. I mean, we we do a lot of research with our partners Vanish around the resale side of circular fashion. And in five years time, the market for secondhand clothes will be one and a half times bigger than buying clothes new. And that's growing rapidly. And you can see that across all sorts of platforms like Depop, Vinted, ThreadUp. there's lots of them, as well as the end of life sale of garments in rental. You know, that's also a really nice edge to the garment and asset care and a second life. So I I truly believe that all of these different models will coalesce into an ecosystem where the loops are closed and we're not manufacturing garments anywhere near as much as we are currently, but they're being looked after and they're being given many, many more lives.
1: Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. You can find the show notes for each episode over on our website, www.thewardrobecrisis.com. And that's where you can also sign up for our free sustainable fashion newsletters. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'd love you to help us spread the word. Tell a friend, share on social media, or leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us on the app. You can get in touch with us on social media. The show is on Instagram, at The Wardrobe Crisis. And I'm on there too. And on Twitter, I'm at Mrs Press. My friends all feel
2: that I'm carrying. I tell them all
4: that they are wrong. Because I love you. Because I love you. Because I love you. Because I love you.
3: Because I love you.